welcome to the Pastured Pig Podcast, where we share the successes and challenges of raising pigs on pasture. We talk to producers all over the country, from small homesteads to large commercial pasture operations. Whether you're new to pastured pigs or have been raising hogs for decades, we hope you hear new ideas and new perspectives on pasturing hogs. Here's your host, Troy McClung. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. Um, excited to have another episode out. And actually, right now, as I'm recording this bumper, I am sitting on the shores of Lake Dunmore in Vermont because we were up for the Homesteaders of New England conference last week uh, where I spoke on pastured pigs and varied terrain. So basically a, a discussion on how to raise pigs on uh, sloped ground or rough ground, and really enjoyed that conversation, really enjoyed that event. Appreciate Jack and the, all the other people that uh, worked to put that um, presentation or, or that uh, event together to allow me to come up and present. And um, we decided to, to make a vacation out of it. So we came up for the, for the event, uh, Kelly and the boys and I, and stayed uh, an extra week in New England. So we're... Uh, by the time you guys hear this, actually, <clears throat> by the time you hear this, we'll still be here. <laughs> um, uh, we'll, we'll be headed back later this month back to the farm. We have a, a good farm sitter taking care of stuff for us while we're gone. Well, um, a, l- a little update I want to give you on the farm. What we'll be doing w- once we get back, we have, um, we have five of our red wattles scheduled to go to the processor, our USDA processor on the 5th. And those are going to be, two of those are going as holes to customers. And then three of those will be processed into individual cuts to be inventory for our uh, home delivery program, our, our business that we have there. So we'll be able to add that to our inventory and sell those cuts online for our local delivery. That leaves us six uh, that we'll process about a month later. <clears throat> And you may be wondering, okay, why why are you waiting to process the other six when they're all the same age? Well, we 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 honestly, it's for freezer space primarily. I want to be able to move this first round of of pork, and then come in and process the uh, the others, and fill up the freezers that hopefully get emptied within that time frame, that thirty days. So it's cheaper for me to have them on pasture than it is to go out and try to acquire more freezers and deal with all that. And um, depending on how our sales go, we may speed that up a bit. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, also want to mention uh, today, uh, this podcast episode is sponsored by um, a good friend of ours who has a great product, and that's Giltech. They're out of Colorado. And what Tyler's got going on there with Giltech, he has um, quite a few products, but my favorite is this everyday carry knife. It is a... It is a custom-designed razor knife, and if you've seen me, I've shared it on our channel, but it is a it's a very great uh, EDC, hardly know it's there, it's super lightweight, it's small and compact, very thin, but it carries your standard razor blades that you get if like a utility knife, so replacement blades are easier to get, you can get those anywhere, you probably even have a pack in your toolbox already. Uh, these things are great. I keep them in every pair of pants 
that I uh, that I you know, use around on the farm, keep them in various areas because they're perfect for opening up the feed sacks, you know, any cardboard boxes, anytime you need to make a, a quick cut with something, and then you've got that opportunity. I was skinning wire with it the other day. So um, he's he's offered um, his he's he's got a, a variety of these EDC knives, but he's just come out with the plastic versions, and then he recently come out with the plastic versions in a variety of colors, which are nice because they're they're very um, uh, they're very obvious to see. So if you drop drop on them in the mud or in the grass, you can find it pretty pretty quickly because all of his colors are, are very bright and stand out. And those are even made in the USA as well. He's not uh, outsourcing those uh, from from a foreign manufacturer. I'm going to leave an affiliate link down in the show notes. You can check that out. If you purchase anything, obviously, we get a little bit of uh, credit from that. But I appreciate Tyler sponsoring the podcast and appreciate the product he produces there. Well, speaking of sponsorship, I uh, just want to give a shout out to some of our Patreon supporters. Uh, so our longest supporting people, I was going back through and the people that have been with me since the beginning, the very beginning, and are still hanging in there at the top tier. And that's Jed and Dana and Adam. So I really appreciate you all. Appreciate your support. Appreciate you hanging in there and uh, and helping us do what we do here with the podcast. Um. Speaking of that, so right now we're, we're two episodes deep into our deep dive into our farm business, and I'm getting good feedback on that. Seems like you guys have been been happy with that. <clears throat> so if you're um, a supporter of any level, then you get access to that audio, and you can hear what we've got going on where we dissect kind of on the fly. It's almost like a diary entry of of what we're doing with our uh, at-home delivery business with our farm, with our farm products, all of our pork and chicken and, and beef and then baked goods, all those type of things. Uh, we detail that. And we've got two uh, episodes into that. The top-tier people, of course, get access to the actual documents, the spreadsheets and things that we use. And we'll be creating more of that as well. We'll have a new episode at the end of this month once we get back, because uh, we've obviously had to put, uh, being gone this long, we've had to do something with the delivery service. So we've um, even explained that in upcoming episodes, how we handle that during vacation. Well, let's get into our discussion. Today, we're talking with Tate and Aaron Sellers, and they're from Juniper Jubilee Ranch in Oregon. And I, I'm I really like their discussion, and when I was going through the pre-screening information, why I thought they would be a good um, guest to have on the podcast is because they are really, really new and starting with pastured pigs. They are um, they they at the point of recording this podcast, <clears throat> they haven't had the pigs very long, and are just just kind of learning what they're learning. Uh, they're also on rented land, so it's an interesting conversation to have. There things that they've learned, you know, the challenges that they're that they're facing and what they've learned so far. It's a really good discussion. So let's get into that, and I'll catch you guys on the tail end. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. As always, I am your host, Troy. Glad to be back again with another great interview. And this time, we are going all the way across the United States, over into Bend, Oregon. And we're talking with Tate and Aaron and they're in Bend, Oregon, and they are renting on a ranch, and it's Juniper Jubilee Ranch that they're hanging out on. So, first of all, welcome, Tate and Aaron, to the show. Hello. Thank Hi. you, Trey. All right. Well, glad you guys could join us. And um, 
so what's interesting about this, there's there's kind of multiple ways you want to go about this, uh, and I'm not going to put words in their mouth. I'm going to let them explain it. But as I mentioned in the intro, they are renting property, and they are, are kind of on the front end of farming experience. In fact, their pastured pig experience is quite new. Is that fair to say? Yeah, we had them for... Two months, month and a half. About a month and a half. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So you've got pigs on the farm for a month and a half. All right. Very good. Very good. All right. Well, so let's do this first. Um, let's talk about the current situation. So uh, give us a little bit of background of who you guys are, kind of what got you into farming, uh, a little bit of experience you have in that, and then why pigs. So that's a lot there. And and if you need a refresh, yeah. then then I'll 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 steer you as we go. So first of all, tell us a little bit of who you are and and kind of your setup right now. All right, so we were living in town, and uh, Bend, it kind of blew up, a lot of people moving in, and of course a lot of people brought in more stuff and more stuff and higher prices of rent, and so at one point we were like, man, this is getting really expensive living here, we, we got to find somewhere else to live, and uh, you're going to hear me mention them a lot, my brother and sister-in-law, it's Aaron's sister, they live across the street, they've got an organic veggie farm. And they're great. They've been a huge resource for us, including they were like, hey, there's this property across the street. Um, they need someone to live here and take care of the land and the property. And we think you guys would be great for it. Uh, what do you think? And so we came out and we loved it. And we were able to get into this rental situation of, hey, just keep the place, you know, up and running. And when we first got here, there was alpacas and the pasture was leased out to them. So they were here almost year round. And so we we're just taking care of them and, you know, just keeping upkeep on the property. And then we, you know, the landlords have been really relaxed with us. You know, they say, you know, you guys are doing great. And if you feel like doing something, then go ahead and do it. And, and we're behind you with that. And, and so we got started getting chickens as the classic story goes. <laughs> chickens are the gateway animal. For sure. Uh, so, so we did our chickens and, and we did that for a little while and, um, that was good. We started selling our eggs uh, through the farmer's market, uh, through Boundless Farmstead. That's the farm across the street from us. Um, so we actually sell it through their through their stand at the at the farmer's market. And I think for it might have been a year or two years, we were like, man, we should get we should get another animal. And we were like talking about what animals to get and yada yada and we, we landed on pigs because we were like well why not pigs they're small enough to kind of handle and can, can be small enough yeah <laughs> so we just thought we'd have an easier time but you know for a while we couldn't decide of oh where are we going to put them we got to you know i figured that they would destroy an area we reached out to some people that have pigs in the area and they kind of showed us their setup and um they were more in a closed off area and didn't roam very much and so we honestly just couldn't decide what where we were going to put them and how our the setup was going to be until we came across pastured pigs and we talked about cooney cooney for a while yeah we did we we flirted with a couple different types of pigs uh we ended up landing on idaho pasture pigs those are the pigs we got now yeah and uh we really liked the idea of having them in the pasture and doing rotational grazing and you know not having them just a just an area just for pigs and so um so we got them in a paddock right now, and they're they're probably going to move to a new area in about a week or so. Okay, all right, cool. Well, so let's if we could let's unpack this a little bit. So you guys, uh, first of all, 
Remind me what bend is noted for. I, I, I'm familiar with the town, but for the life of me, is that a ski town? What what makes Bend? Why, why do I know as in West Virginia? Why do I know about Bend, Oregon? It's like the central of Oregon. So you're four hours from the coast. You're really close to mountains. And there's also like we're in the high desert. So we have uh -huh. the desert scene as well. Okay. Um, there's a lot of breweries in Bend. Okay. I'd say like Deschutes Brewery is based out of Bend and they're pretty known around oh, yeah and, okay. and if you if you like doing any kind of outdoor activity then bend oregon is great because like aaron was saying three to four hours in any direction you could be skiing kayaking at the ocean hiking in the desert riding your you know four-wheel toys and just really anything you can think of that could be done here with the very short distance to travel and so it really does bring in a lot of people who love the outdoors and are very much involved in it. And I think that's a big draw that brings people to Bend. It was the most moved to city for a couple of years in a row, oh. uh, about three or four years ago. It was, it was, it was crazy watching the growth of the city happen. Um, but that might be why you hear about it is because, you know, a lot of people have moved here and it's, it is a quite a big tourist destination in Oregon. Tate and I grew up here. So it's been interesting watching it change over the years. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. If you guys were natives there, and that's why, um, you know, why the affinity for it. So, so it's interesting, and obviously this isn't an economic podcast, but I do find it um, just fascinating, especially coming from a state that is shrinking in population, and and then you guys um, obviously are getting an increase in your area. So, is is it one of the things where you're living in? town and i'm just going to make some assumptions i assume you all are, are a younger couple and I'm, that may be an incorrect assumption but um that's correct. 30s. Yeah. okay yeah so um yeah for me that's younger so looking at <laughs> looking at that and say okay uh property just keeps going up were you all renting in town at that point or, or did you did you own uh we were renting in town okay um we we had a decent relationship with our landlord as well but you know as as people start coming in the town gets more developed and houses start selling for more. It starts bringing the values up, and and the rent is kind of increasing. Especially the area we we're living in, it was really it was a nice ideal location in the middle of town. You could go ten minutes and really get anywhere you wanted to. Um, so it was a very centrally located area, and um, the the worth of everything was just rising faster than anyone could ever keep up with. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's. That seems to be the norm in, in places a lot right now. So so I assume then Juniper Jubilee Ranch is a decent trek from downtown Bend where you guys were staying. It is. Yeah, we're it, about half an hour outside yeah. of. Yeah, it's about 13 miles or so east of town, Yeah, um, which is kind of perfect for me. I, I like that drive. I was a little apprehensive about it when we first moved out of here, but, um, yeah. you know, a lot of people commute much farther yeah. Than, than we do and um, I've actually begun to enjoy the drive and I really like you know when you when you get back out to the property you really feel like you're you know away from all that and it's a little little oasis out here in the desert definitely so is the ranch you, you said that there was a, a dwelling on there that needed to be occupied that the owners um, wanted somebody to stay there and, and keep upkeep on the the residential area are are they also dwelling on the ranch or are they absentee landowners? They're not. They're they're absent okay. and um they live in town. They do. One of them lives in town, the other one's up in Washington and uh they bought this place in the 80s and uh you know it was just a 
blank piece of land with some water rights and they really you know set up everything and they actually did goats for quite a while here and they also did rabbits for a while uh, when they lived here and then they've had a couple other long-term um, occupants on the property each one stayed about 10 years and then so we're the we're the third occupancy on the property or i guess it'd be fourth counting them so there'd been so we're the fourth occupancy on the property since it'd been built and everything yeah wow very cool um if you don't mind me asking how big is the ranch acreage was we're on 40 acres 20 of it's irrigated okay uh, about 20 and the other 20 is is pretty barren yeah. we are in the the desert landscape of bend oregon it's really on a transition zone you know to the east you got pine trees and doug firs and hills and mountains and then if sorry to the west so the west is is doug firs and pine trees and mountains and then you head out east a little ways and you're all juniper trees and sagebrush and hmm. and really gets into the high desert well, area there yeah yeah that seems so seems so foreign to me I, I we live in a tropical rainforest it seems like this time of year so it just yeah i've, I've heard you talk a lot about mud and i was kind of <laughs> like i wonder if we'll have mud because we got pretty sandy soil out here i wonder what mud's like yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll not, find out this winter yeah, so if you, we got mud or not you're not missing anything i guarantee you <laughs> unless you like make mud pies and making your boots five pounds heavier than they're supposed to be so well all right so we actually had, to oh, get our our uh dirt wet for the electric fence to work for the pigs the other day oh yeah 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 it did. It was a little dry a little sandy it wasn't grounding right so we soaked it and packed it a little bit to keep the ground going <laughs> yeah that's hilarious and i won't digress too much but that that's the exact opposite of what i was experiencing just earlier this week running uh, actually doing some repair on a, a section of pasture that we'll be moving the pigs into and hammering my um I use half-inch conduit uh, for support fence posts mm -hmm. and hammering those in and had the wire in my hand that was not connected to anything. It was it was part of the northern part of the pasture that was disconnected, but um, because of the saturation of the ground and the wet grass laying on the fence over in the other paddock, as I got closer and closer to the fence and I grabbed those fence posts with a one wire in one hand and the fence post in the other, oh. I could feel it. it, it it's oh, no. So <laughs> when I got down to drive the last one in, I reached down to grab the wire to put on the post and it, it got me pretty good. I was like, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah we, have, we have a little too much conductivity going on in our place. At yeah, we're quite the opposite. You know, we did when we wet it down and, and packed it a little bit and the next morning when they came because they were, they're getting on the other side and they go to get on the other side and when I'm going to feed them and the one that had been getting under there yelped, it, it really did make my day. Yeah, Very good. All right. So this is, so this is good stuff. So I, I love the fact that you guys have been able to at least stay in your hometown that uh, uh, the economy of things haven't driven you out, but it's given you a, a life. So was this something that, a lifestyle that you wanted to pursue or do you do you feel that maybe the economics of downtown were, were kind of forcing you out what what was the the true motivation here i like uh i started going to college for like horticulture and veterinary stuff oh, for a second because i was very interested in it and my sister has been a farmer for quite a while and so i've always thought about she does the veggie and i can grow the you know meat <laughs> So I've been interested, but never really had like the opportunity to do it. And so I really feel like I've been able to 
experience it being out here now. Very good. Very good. So it sounds like I feel, yeah. I feel like I'm here on accident sometimes. <laughs> I've, I've never had the thought of being a farmer or nothing. You know, I'm even more of kind of a nerd when, when you break it down of my activities that I do, but we just ended up being out here and, and started doing it and I've really enjoyed it. And it's really, it's been, been a pleasure to do lately. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> and it's definitely a blessing for a couple to have, um, to have similar interest in that because um, there's so many people talk to where it's like, well, I'm here and my spouse tolerates it or yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, I, I have to do these things and they don't want to have any part of it or it's, you know, well, I'll be supportive, but I, I'm not interested, but it's, it's, it's a blessing when you're both interested and want to invest in it because that really helps, really helps move yeah. things along and obviously helps mitigate arguments as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, we definitely, we very much enjoy being out here and, um, I think we'd trade our situation for our, you know, we'd, we'd take this situation over our previous situation in town any day now. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about your pigs a little bit. So you said Idaho pastured pigs, and this was your first foray into pigs. So why in, in your research did you settle on the IPP? Was it just because uh, they were just a little bit to the east or <laughs> what? what was your motivation there to go with them? There's a few things. So they have Cooney Cooney in them, which is a, uh, the kind of pig that we initially started thinking about because they're on the smaller end and like if i needed to go wrestle a pig i, I feel more confident wrestling a kinny kinny <laughs> size pig and um uh we came across idaho pasture pigs because first of all they're like locally sold from this uh well oregon locally uh from this uh farm called the lazy pig in the dallas and so after reaching out to this lady who was very passionate about this breed um we really got set on it um it's also the kind of meat that it is it's like a really red marbled meat slow raising and like what else about it well there's just also when we were looking for pigs i felt like there's so much confusion of like you know, you, we were jumping out like, all right, how do we get a pig? You know, <laughs> so we jumped on Craigslist and there is people selling pigs everywhere, every what kind of pigs. And so it was really, high, it was a pretty overwhelming for me to try and select out and pick which one you want and, you know, where it was coming from. And, and then we we're also on Craigslist. So we're like, is this person even real or <laughs> is, this, is this some Craigslist scam or something? But and so we we went and visited their their farm. It's in the Dallas, Oregon. It's about three hours from here. And when the pigs were four weeks old, we went and visited. And it, we, I just I loved the situation that we walked into because um, we were kind of like, all right, we got to kind of interview these people and see yeah. who we're dealing with. We don't want to like, buy pigs from someone who's not raising them right, right with like care and you know everything like that. So that was a big part of it. Is if they're being treated right and have the right kind of situation. We'd like want to support people that are also trying to do things right. And and we got there and we're trying to like feel out these people and they're, they were feeling us out because she eventually told us, she's like, you know, if I didn't feel right about you guys, I wouldn't have sold you our pigs. And we were like, that's fantastic. I think that's a great mentality to have, not just trying to offload as many piglets as you can to whomever. And so we really, um, really got got along well with with the breeder that we got the pigs from 
Uh, and that really set it for getting these type of pigs. Yeah, that that's great. And I love the fact that you, you're doing your research, checking that out. And then, of course, um, visiting the farm and looking at the welfare of the farm. Um, I think that's key. And uh, that should show up in in your animal husbandry as well, uh, especially you know, when the farm's you know, looking at you all and sizing you all up. So that's good. That, Like you say, that gives you that warm, fuzzy feeling that uh, you're choosing the right source to get started with your with your stock there. Which is a bummer because they're, they're only going to be breeding for two more summers, they told us. Um, so we were like, all right, do we got to start raising piglets or are we going to have to try and look into a different breeder or a new breed or something. So we're unsure what to do, but they, yeah. they did give us a heads up that they're only going to be doing pigs for about two more years or so. And then we'll kind of have to find somewhere else to be getting piglets from. Hmm. Oh. So they get getting out of the pig business completely. You think? Yeah, I think so. They're, they're, they're older. And they've had some health stuff come up and um, ready to retire. Yeah. I think, like... I think they're ready to retire and, and, maybe do something with a little less involved like work or involvement or yeah 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 okay so so why did you go with five why that number well we we have friends and family that we thought might be interested in getting pigs and so we actually reached out to people who would want pigs like my dad and sister friends um and kind of got the count of like this person wants a half and this person wants a whole and we're going to take a whole. So, and then we got an extra one on top of that. So just in case anything happened or if we wanted to like keep one and maybe, um, Either. breeder. Yeah. Um, so that's where we came up with that number. We got a head count and let her know. Perfect. And then partially too, listen, listen to the pasture pig co- podcast. It's like, well, raising five pigs, isn't much more than raising two. And that's <laughs> how you tend to start multiplying is like, well, I'm already doing the work, work and a couple of extra pigs. Isn't going to really add a lot more labor to us. And, um, and then she had the, the litter she had was she kept a couple and she wanted to get rid of the rest of the litter as well. So that was a deciding factor of she wanted, she wanted to, get rid of all these piglets um, to one buyer. And so, and so we ended up being the, that buyer. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that's great. And, and I love the idea of, of, you know, there's logic to the number and having that foresight to say, well, let's, let's look and see what we can do to raise some for others. And again, we'll be in family and friends, whether you're going to sell that meat to them or they're just going to help you with grow out calls. So there's going to be some bartering. Uh, then there's there's at least some economic um, approach to that, so that that's good that that that's part of your decision. So let me ask you this: So what did you end up getting with those five IPPs? Were they all gilts? Are they barrows? Are they boars? And we got to do some cutting soon. What's what's going on there? We got three castrated males ah, and two, or two castrated. Sorry, males. we got two. Yeah, two. They did the castrating for us, so we got. Uh, and I, I'm actually not sure what a castrated mill is. That the is that That's the, the barrow? barrow? That's the barrow. Mm-hmm. Yep. Barrow. Yep. Uh, the barrow, barrow, and then we got three gilts as well. Yeah. Okay. Very good. And so they come with a mix. Uh, she actually took a gilt because she wanted she wanted to use it for uh, breeding stock for the next few years. Yeah. Next couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. So that gives you some options, as you mentioned, with uh, processing and having one 
stick it around if you wanted to either get a bore or, or even do AI, then you've got. Yeah, we've definitely talked about it. Um, we have had some experience with puppies, with dogs, you know, (laughs) I've heard that they can be similar. I'm sure, I'm sure it's not quite the same, (laughs) same deal, but, um, that is something we've been thinking about, but we're trying to weigh, you know, like, okay, what's it going to take to have a pig on the farm full time compared to, all right, we got them for this long and then they're going to be gone and we get to choose kind of when we're going to get more pigs or not. And so we go back and forth weighing like, you know, what it's going to take if we were to, to keep a sow around. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Honestly, I would say from, from my experience, and, and of course I don't know what an Oregon, a Bend, Oregon winter looks like, but I would say maybe this first year process them all. And if you still got a couple years to get stock from this uh, farm, then uh, maybe that's something to aspire to at some point because there's pros and cons of, of all of that. But if you've got available uh, feeder stock to get for the next couple of years, then as you get more experience and just really see how the land uh, operates, especially since it's, you know, it's leased land, you want to have a better feel for it and not be in a situation where uh, you have a, a pig on farm or you have a, a, a really nice litter and now you've got a lot of pigs on farm and, and you got to figure out how to manage that. Yeah. So. Yeah, exactly. So this is definitely just dipping our toes in, you know, we've already, <laughs> we, we've already talked about our next litter. We're like, all right, we should get 10. Yeah. <laughs> we start don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. Cause I was even, you know, we got them and I was, I was stressing out a little bit. I was like, man, we haven't sold this pig yet. We still have a pig that we haven't sold. And, and uh Aaron and her sister kind of were like, Hey, just relax, it's okay. Yeah. You have an extra in case something happens. And then going back to Boundless Farm said they're a great resource and they have a CSA list. And and Megan was like, I I, I know people that are gonna want to buy that pig if you ever need to get rid of it. And so help me kind of reassure me. So it's really nice having that resource and their their customer base is very open to to receiving other products from them and stuff. Yeah. 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 So it sounds like if I'm trying, I'm trying to do my math in my head. So we're probably what, three and a half to four months old on these pigs now? Yeah, just about. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Right around in there. They're born April, end of April. Okay. So with the IPP, are you going to process at nine months or or what's, what's your schedule right now? We're kind of feeling it out. We, uh, we have a processor that, um, his books are relatively open and, um, we're going to reach out to him when we're, we get a better idea. So we're kind of in the nine month to nine, 10 month range right now. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Especially like February's here are really cold and sometimes there can be a huge snowstorm, like a couple feet of snow. Yeah. We do tend to get the late winters, you know, the early winter, it's actually pretty nice out, yeah. <laughs> you know, it'll be, it's one of the best times to get things done because it's it's not blazing hot and it's it's pretty nice early in the winter. But as we get later in the winter, we get really bad freezes and we'll get some snowstorms that come in. And um, sometimes it'll snow and then it will be frozen for a few weeks. So you got snow for a while and other times it'll snow a bunch and it'll be all gone the next day. Yeah. Um, so it can really vary, but it doesn't really tend to come till later, later in the in the year. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so that sounds like um, yeah, that's that's all all a good plan uh, as you move ahead there, having your process. Now, is Oregon is does it offer state inspected for cuts? Because you know, some states are custom 
processing, state inspected, then USDA. So you kind of have three levels. Is Oregon a state inspected state or do you know? I'm not sure of the state inspected. I have done a little looking and around into some USDA and we do have a USDA processor about 40 minutes away in the town over, which I thought was really cool in case we wanted to we could do one pig. Do, do some do some of that. Um, but yeah. I'm not sure. I'm I'm fairly sure that you got it's got to be state inspected, and there are the custom processor. And the guy the guy we're using is going to be a custom processor. He actually lives fairly close to us down the road. Yeah. Well, it um, sounds like you've got options there, and and with your um, with your sister sister in law having the um, the farmers market booth already, that if you did decide, okay, we're we may be stuck with this one pig. Let's take it over to the USDA processor, and then you can sell the cuts through the market um, yeah. if that timing works. I know, you know February or January, February with the market. I don't know if the market's open at that point, but that uh, could, yeah, I don't, yeah, it usually usually is pretty seasonal. It goes yeah. from May to uh, October. Yeah, yeah, interesting. All right, so so let me ask you this: so with your foray into pigs so far, so you you've you've just had them on on the pasture for just a couple months here. What, um, what challenges, what are, what are some of the, the bigger challenges you have already faced or are facing that you can kind of see that, that you'd say, Hmm, this, this is probably going to be our, our biggest challenge with pigs. You want to go first? It's hard to tell cause they've been so easy lately. <laughs> right. It happened really easy. Yeah. I, I think it's going to be fencing for me. We are, we're trying to keep things mobile um, in case we need to, you know, move somewhere else. To don't we're not trying to put in a lot of permanent structures. The pasture does have a permanent fence with hog panels around it for when from when they had goats. Oh, yeah. um, but we're still doing, uh, you know, let's probably do a double wire in the pasture uh, just to keep them in the areas that we want them grazing in. Uh, we do have some some weeded areas out in the pasture that we really want them to go to work on and so that might be just trying to keep them in those areas that we want them to go to work on for a longer period of time or um we really just want them to be able to move around the pasture and keeping the pasture in good shape but also we want them to be doing doing pig stuff on it as well yeah i mean it's great that you have some of that infrastructure in place already it really is because uh, the electric fence does end up failing. They are contained in an area, so hoping I won't have to chase pigs through the neighborhood and <laughs> they're pretty, maybe just through the pasture. They're pretty passive pigs; like they don't, they don't want to leave. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, if, if you've got everything they need, then and that's that's the cool thing about a pig. He's he's just going to chill and and do his thing. And if it leaves, it's probably going over to my sister's to eat some vegetables. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's right. Yeah. right. And then uh, we do get the the two extremes of the weather here. Mm-hmm. We're about to get into our hottest parts of the year. And it does get up into the high 90s, uh, low 100s for about a week or two yeah. out of the year. So we're kind of just really dry. waiting for that. Very, very dry. And then on the other end in the wintertime, uh, they can be mild winters and we don't get a lot of snow, but they are pretty cold. And so, you know, dealing with water yeah. and, and making sure we're getting enough water to them and it's not frozen and and how we're going to be getting that to them and stuff is definitely going to be one of the difficulties here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. So speaking of thinking of that heat and <clears throat> in those situations right now, how are you accommodating them with either shade and or wallow? So we got them a kiddie pool. 
Yeah. All right. <laughs> they've been they've been digging that. <laughs> they they like the pool, <laughs> which is good because I was like, oh, they're gonna eat it. <laughs> they're kind of where the alpacas used to be. Um, so there's like this overhang area, and we put we built a hut for them, and we actually just put that underneath there. So they have like a big shaded area that they can be in. And we have a lot of trees in the pasture as well, just juniper, but they have access to shade. And we also bought a sunshade, but we haven't had to put it up yet. Yeah. yeah so we, we do have that sunshade that's mobile if they're in an area that doesn't have as much shade or doesn't have shade all day. We can put that up and provide a little bit of shade for them for especially the, like, the next few months here when it's going to be pretty hot. Yeah. Have you um, have you thought about your loading process when it comes time to take them to freezer camp? So the thing about our processor is he um, will come and slaughter and take the pigs. Yeah, so he's going to do it on the property here and then take them over to his place and butcher them for us. Nice. That is so much oh. easier to load a pig on a trailer when it's dead. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, even just listening to the podcast, I'm like, oh, man, I really don't want to move a pig. Before we even <laughs> decided on getting pigs, we wanted to find a processor that had that capability because we don't have like the best options to move pigs and so that was a really important piece of our puzzle yeah yeah no and, and I'm, as i'm thinking about it, it seems like i was it may have been oregon or washington where i was talking to somebody that that has uh, that there's a lot of mobile processing options and i can't remember which state it was but i do remember that conversation now i'm thinking hmm, that's a nice advantage to have yeah and it does it does add a little cost to the processing um but we are you know pushing that on to other people with their pig and i think especially just for our first time that was just the easiest option for us to do and um you know the usda we're gonna have to if we do that we'll obviously have to move the pig uh there is a horse trailer available to us to tow but i have no idea how i'd get a pig into the trailer i think it's got a loader on it um just Put some, hang some food in there. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> do, do something. But, yeah. but we are bypassing having to load pigs up by by having that guy come out and uh, and slot and slaughter the pigs for us here on the farm. Very good, very good. Well, so in this um, short period of time that you've had pigs on farm, is there anything that you've that you've learned or you've realized that you weren't expecting yet? It's kind of like, oh wow, okay, we got to deal with that. Uh, pigs eat dirt and wood and <laughs> I heard, I've heard you guys say it on the podcast before, but I was kind of like, I mean, they can't really do that, but yeah, they eat wood and dirt <laughs> and we, holy cow, I did not realize that they would chow on that stuff like that. We have them in an area that there's underground irrigation. Mm. And so we were worried about them digging up pipes and stuff like the PVC, right? Yeah. but they have not done anything like that they might scratch themselves on the posts a little bit but they haven't broke any sprinklers yet and uh been really happy about that yeah situation. yeah that's good and i think that's a little little bit of credit to that breed that breed is is they're not digging foxholes like some of the bigger production breeds so that's nice yeah and then uh man their noses are just crazy i just you <laughs> see them plunge them straight into the ground and like I was saying, I've heard I've heard people say this before, but it really just doesn't do it any justice to you see it just stick its nose straight in the ground and and dig a little hole with it. It's like holy cow! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like shovels in their faces for sure. 
Uh, yeah, and <laughs> I've heard the expression, but I just it really hit home when I saw him do that. And I was like, man, they are really can just do whatever they want with their nose there. Yeah, that's great. So um, so let, let's do this while we still have some time here, because I, I think this is interesting. And, and I think our some of our listeners will, will really benefit from this, because I, I, I think there's people that listen to this podcast that are that are kind of vicariously listening to our experiences because they're not quite yet ready to to have a farm or a homestead and, and be able to raise pigs. So with you all renting and leasing this this land to have pigs on, what would you say to somebody that would, would maybe never consider leasing or like, how, how can you do that because of all the liabilities of if you tear stuff up or what if they t- throw you off halfway through raising your pigs? How have you guys navigated that? And, and what are the pros uh, for you all in your situation in life that uh, that leasing is? I that we're not going to like have to leave anytime soon. And we kept her in the loop. We told her that we were going to get pigs. And um, I think the just communication between it all is really important and telling them what we wanted to do and them being very supportive and us trying to get them a pig if they wanted but they weren't they weren't it always helps it. If, you, if you can offer your landlord a pig it's pretty much a shoe in right? that <laughs> right. bribe people yeah. with bacon that's the way i look at it yeah, so, yeah. Uh, so uh yeah i'd say like communication has been the biggest part of being able to do everything that we do out here and um just trying to keep that door open mm-hmm. so and then you- also the the fact that you know you're since we don't have breeding stock or anything, it's not like a lot of things we've done around the place. It's not like a permanent thing if it needs to be, because at some point the pigs are going to be gone and you're either going to be getting new ones or anything. So not having that bit of permanency has helped a lot, I think, Yeah, especially because it can be hard to try and invest in infrastructure and stuff when you're like, well, I don't even own this place, you know? And, and so really, making that's why we really wanted to go with the fences that we can be moving and that can mm-hmm. um you know if we needed to we can take those somewhere else and otherwise it's like well i put or all that them. put all that money and time into that thing and now i gotta leave it there or things like that because that really does prevent you from doing something sometimes you know there are projects that are kind of like okay that'd be really big and and quite you know wouldn't be able to take that with us if we ever had to go somewhere else and so that that sense of uh, being mobile and not having that permanent, necessarily permanent infrastructure and investment has really helped a lot as well. Yeah, and I think that fits so well into the regenerative agriculture model that that we're all trying really to does. Regulate. Yeah, yeah, it, it just that's we we started learning about that and it was just really you know lit a spark and we we're like that is perfect for us right now because you know we really don't want to be investing a ton of of money and time into these things that may not be able to you know get dividends on your investment in the future if you're if you're not there Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and so i i don't want to pry into your personal finances but but i would like to just kind of tiptoe across that subject a little bit so if you weren't able to lease land just outside of bend and you had to purchase it how far back do you think your your dream of, of farming would have been set back if you had to go find you know 20 10 20 30 acres in in the area and still stay in your hometown 
How far back? All of these are all of these are twenty acre lots out here, at least. It's yeah, minimum twenty acres in this specific area, um, and that's just to prevent subdividing and you know all of a sudden there's a housing neighborhood out here. Um, but it would be pretty far back to non-existent. We'd probably go to Montana. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, we, yeah, we'd probably have to go somewhere else yeah. or. You know, it was really nice listening to that episode a little while back about um, you guys were talking about finances and how to finance a farm and um, really didn't want to go into a deep amount of debt. And it would be a pretty decent amount with the way that prices are around around the area. There's there's a couple of ranches that are for sale on uh, like around our area and most of them are a million or up. Yeah, and in town even housing is you know barely find a house for five hundred thousand, just a little t- house within city limits. So, so uh, it would definitely be very very tough mm-hmm. if if it was able to happen at all. We might be <laughs> we might be shacking up with our neighbors there and <laughs> sharing the pasture with them yeah. if that was the case. <laughs> right. Yeah. So. So again, without getting into dollar amounts, would you say that when you're looking at the lease price that you have on this farm compared to what you were paying for uh, your your residential spot in town, is it comparative? Is it two times as much? Yeah. So yeah, it's, how, it's it's so cheap, but part of it is working here. Exactly. So yeah. Was, we get a big deduction for yeah. just keeping this place going, and we've actually done a lot of like tree trimming. They they used to work at a nursery, so there's a lot of uh, trees around here that just were not taken care of and we've tried to clean everything up a bit and make it look nice again and I'd say the last tenant didn't do a lot here and so there's a lot of overgrowth and mm-hmm. we've just tried to make sure that we want them to our landlords to know that we want to take care of this place and you know make it as beautiful as it should be and um, healthy that's in general yeah yeah go ahead being able to pay for part of the rent with you know some effort and work is really appealing um because you you know it's like you think about it that's just the amount of time you'd be spending at a job to make money for the rent Mm -hmm. and so in my head it's like well i'd rather be out here working on on the area i'm living in instead of somewhere else in an office to be able to pay the extra money instead of instead of working for it definitely a time versus money Mm -hmm. thing well and i think that's i think that's so key and and that's kind of why i was leading you guys along that way i figured that was the case but i I just want to emphasize for our listeners in this situation that you know this this is this is a function stack so you are renting a piece of land that you are getting farming experience on uh, your own personal uh, growth of of pigs and chickens or whatever else you're doing but you're also getting financial compensation for learning other things so you know, pruning maintenance some of the other infrastructure things and um like you say, that that's so much better than just trading that for money you're trading that time for experience and saving money and I, and I really like that and, and want to underscore that for people listening to think, hey, if you can lease farmland, yes, there, there, there's going to be limitations to that. You're, you're, you're not going to own it, but it can really move you ahead fast in getting that experience. And it could be an opportunity where you can end up putting more money in your pocket so you're saving toward a down payment on a purchase if that need would, uh, would come around. So I really like how you guys have that structured. That's great. 
especially when it comes to you know making mistakes is it sounds kind of bad to me because it's not our place but you know we have made like oh we shouldn't have done that or that wasn't right but like you know if we were to go to a place that's our own it's like you already kind of know those and you've already like you were saying you've gotten the experiment experience and you know your way around what you're doing a little more than just kind of you know wide-eyed and being like oh man i'm not really sure if yeah. this is right or not and so yeah definitely getting that experience well and who knows out a lot yeah who knows time time will tell and and we don't want to try to do any prophesying here, but maybe at some point, years down the road, the the property owners are like, "Hey, you know, we're we're looking to liquidate this at some point, and this could be a rent to own, or it could be a first refusal on something, and because of your work you've put into it, it could make it very very affordable for you." So, we've actually had that conversation with them. Um, yeah. We're just waiting for both of them to be in the same town together yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, to have this conversation. So. Um, in person so uh we mostly see one landlord but the other because of the other ones in washington so Mm -hmm. it definitely is a topic we have brought up the last couple years very good very good and we we are hoping that you know they see that we do love this place and we do put our love into it and um you know it's hard telling in the world we live in but sometimes that love talks higher than the higher money dollar amount uh to some people sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't but we're really trying to show them that we really do love this place and we do like being shepherds of the land and taking care of it yeah and that um we hope that reflects to them with you know what what we're able to accomplish here well and i agree with you 100 tate I, I think stewardship still resonates with people when when we bought our 100 acre farm 23 years ago the gentleman that had it for generations, yeah, he was the he was the patriarch, and he said, he said, I want you to have this because I know you're going to turn it back into its glory because it was absolutely garbage, because um, you know, he he got old and, and moved out and some extended family really trashed the place and he said, I know you're going to restore it to the to the glorified farm it was at some point. So he was super excited about it and, and glad that we were able to get it. So I think I think you're right. I think that stewardship idea still still runs in people's heads and they think okay here's an here's a younger generation that's going to take it over and they've proven that they're going to be good stewards of the land so um, let's do what we can to make sure that uh, this stays affordable for them so yeah i think it's great and i think that does resonate with our landlords because they've come out and visited the place throughout the four years we've been here and uh you know one of the visits it did bring a tear to her eye to see you know there's chickens running around we're yeah. we're harvesting eggs we're we're taking care of everything and uh not just to take care of it because it's technically part of our job and our rent but because we enjoy we it. enjoy it and we like it and we we love the finished product and even doing it i don't even mind you know doing doing hard work or nothing especially when the payout's so great and rewarding um, rewarding and we just you know, we just love being here and creating this this home around this around this property. Awesome, very good. Oh, very good. righty. So before I let you go, I gotta I gotta ask you all the question that we ask everybody. Can't let you escape this. So, so and and both of you can have to come up with your own answers. So, what have you guys in your experience so far with pigs? What is your favorite thing so far about raising pigs on pasture? I just love hanging out with them they are so funny (laughs) just like big personalities and 
I'm also really happy to like raise something and love it and then love it after when I'm eating it too. You know, like it's raised with, I don't know, all the love. And I'm just really excited to be a part of this experience. Yeah. Very cool. Tight. And uh, for me, you know, I second that, but also I, I really love talking about pigs with people, especially if I can get them out here to hang out with the pigs a little bit. They're always kind of like, well, you want me to come hang out with your pigs? And I'm like, yeah, it's great time. <laughs> but just talking to them about it. And I can't believe how many conversations I've had with people who also have pigs that you would have never thought. And then now we're all of a sudden, we're just talking about pigs and a couple hours goes by and you're like, oh gosh, I got to go. But, but just having that conversation about, you know, why you have pigs and what you're doing and what your plans are to do with them. Um, I really enjoy that part. Yeah. Very good. Excellent. Well, do you all have any uh, online presence, any social media, anything like that? If people want to learn more about you, they can check out or not yet. We're, we're kind of invisible online. He is. I have three Instagrams because I do art and I do baking and I, the other one is, about like the farm in our life pretty much. So. Oh, right. okay. <laughs> but uh, I did listen to that episode about that you did on marketing. And uh, one of the things you guys did say on there is it's never too soon to start creating, you know, your presence and your mm -hmm. story and, and that people, they do want to hear about why you're doing things and how you do it. And when they go to buy your product, it's not necessarily just the product that they want, but they're also who they're buying it from. And, you're buying it from them because of because of their story and so I, I we have put some thought into like all right maybe we should start developing more of our farm story and yeah um you know Erin did say she has an Instagram uh, but it's a lot of pictures of like you know dogs and chickens and pigs you know a little more involved uh with to to let people know more information about you know why we're doing it instead of um just that we are doing it yeah, no, that's great. And and I I think back and wish I'd taken more pictures in 2000 uh, when we bought this place to document its journey and where it is 23 years later. And it wasn't until, well, we've only been doing our YouTube channel for five or six years now. So there, that's really kind of when the documentation starts. So there's there's missed opportunity there to tell the story of, of how we got from point A to point B. And especially, you know, you know regenerating some land here uh, and then and, and showing the, the the evolution of that land so yeah right now you can at least document your experiences and your forays into this and and then if you decide to take it public then you can reach back into those archives and and have them to draw from so there are there's some some things that came with the farm when we moved in and one of them is this picture it must have been taken from a, pl a plane or a helicopter because it's from 86 yeah and it's it's you know they're still building the hay barn and there's still you see where development hasn't happened yet and i love looking at that picture it's like not in the, and then looking outside no trees, and, yeah trees, you know we got aspens all over now and there's none of that it was just a pretty barren piece of property so i do love that contrast of like wow this is what it looked like when it started now you know can just go outside and be like holy cow this is what it's come to today um that that is something really there is something about that that's just awesome to look at. Very cool. Very cool. All right. Well, I really appreciate the two of you coming on the show, and I'm going to let you go so you can enjoy the rest of your young evening, you West Coasters. 
and <laughs> be able to uh, to enjoy that. But man, I, I appreciate you being on there and look forward to hearing some updates from you. Awesome. Thank you so much, Trey. Well, I really enjoy having conversations with people that are just getting started in pastured pigs. It, uh, I think it's a refreshing way to look at things and helps us maybe even recall, recollect when we were in that situation, when we were first getting started and how far you've come in that process. So I enjoy Tate and Aaron taking that time to be on the podcast and, and, and sharing their experiences with us, um, albeit you know, new. So with that in mind, if you all, if anyone would like to be on the podcast or have some suggestions, by all means, uh, contact me, Troy, at redtoolhouse.com or just use the uh, form on the Pastured Pig website. And we do have some pretty good ones lined up here. Uh, the last call to action I threw out to you all about getting some people on the podcast. We got some good responses and got some good ones in the queue and some other ones lined up. In fact, we will be talking uh, it got delayed about a month, but we'll be talking to some experts about African swine fever and why it is something that we need to consider here in the States. But that's going to be, uh, that interview got pushed back to October, so by the time that airs, it may be the end of the year. But we'll see. If it's super time-sensitive stuff, then we may have to shuffle some things around. But looking forward to that discussion with some of the experts uh, dealing in that topic. Well, I appreciate everybody uh, listening to the podcast, appreciate the support. And again, if you have any feedback whatsoever, just reach out to me. All right. Pray everyone have a great week. Take care. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. To learn more about our podcast or to submit topics or recommend guests for future episodes, visit redtoolhouse.com. 